As I was reading the news this week uh, and came across the conflict between Israel and Palestine, um, I immediately got a sinking feeling in my chest. Um, I'm not sure exactly what that feeling was or is, but, when, but whenever things in the world happen that I know aren't exactly right, um, I get that exact same feeling, just like how in the months leading up to the pandemic, um, that same feeling started to creep up as COVID went from an outbreak to an epidemic to what it is now. And while I still have so much more to research um, and read up on the history and background of uh, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, I know that there's oppression and inhumane treatment by the Israeli government to the people who are being displaced and kicked out of their homes. And Jewish people are facing anti-Semitism because of what they perceive, what others perceive to be their actions um, there while the Palestinian people are getting stigmatized and demonized because of the actions of Hamas, a militant group of extremist Palestinians. Despite a recent ceasefire, both groups seem to be spiraling, spiraling towards deeper and more uncontrollable conflict. While the factions and governments fight, I can't help but imagine what the innocent civilians and people are going through. Um, just wanting to survive another day and live in peace with their neighbor, as they had previously done. I found myself imagining what it would be like if in all this conflict and others, humans chose to forego their own desires and decided to lay down their own livelihood for the sake of others. What if people chose to be a neighbor to those they have no obligation of being a neighbor to? The Israeli-Palestinian conflict would look much different and the world as a whole would as well. And before I continue on with the sermon. Uh, can we take a moment of silence of prayer uh, to pray for uh, the innocent civilians and children that are caught in the crossfire, um, for those that are Jewish that are facing anti-Semitism, and for the Palestinian people that are, being, that are facing inhumane treatment and are um, being displaced and kicked out of their homes. Uh, so let's just take a quick moment of silence. As we go into our third week um, of our sermon series, Sent, uh, we are continuing the conversation of what it means and looks like, looks like for us to be sent by the Holy Spirit. For the first week, Pastor Danny preached on us being sent ones and how we're sent to mission and missions. Last week, Pastor Linda discussed and preached about how we're sent to the workplace uh, where we spend the majority of our day. Uh, and today, I get the privilege of preaching on uh, how we are sent to, um, and on being sent to our neighbors and what that actually means. And while the Bible talks so much about being sent to multiple groups and places, there isn't as clear of a Bible verse uh, for what it looks like to be sent to our neighbor uh, as when Jesus shares the parable of the Good Samaritan. Even outside of a church or sermon context, uh, this idea of a Good Samaritan is ingrained into the pop culture of America and the rest of the world. I mean, if you play video games, even in a game like Call of Duty, when you save a teammate, uh, the title that you get is The Good Samaritan. Um, and I, but I really want to explore what Jesus meant and desires for us to learn uh, from this parable. And so the, ba the Bible passage today comes from Luke 10, 25 to 37. Again, Luke 10, 25 to 37. And behold, 
A lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as well. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down by that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer responded, The one who showed him mercy, kindness. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that through this message... Uh, Lord, it is not my words that are being spoken, but Lord, your words that are, um, and your thoughts uh, that are being spoken through me, God, that I am merely a vessel uh, for what you desire to teach and show our brothers and sisters today here at Cornerstone. And so God, I pray uh, that your Holy Spirit may be the one that's, um, that's speaking to us, but also that your Holy Spirit is the one that's opening up our ears, that are opening up um, our hearts um, to really take in this message and to really um, to really learn today uh, what it means to be a neighbor uh, and to be sent by you. And so, in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So we see that a lawyer asks Jesus what he should do to inherit eternal life, and instead of giving an giving an answer that's simply abstract, Jesus points him to action. Now, I'm not saying that it is by action that we are Christians um, or justified, but when God and the Holy Spirit change us to be more like Him, it is through our actions that we prove that we are in fact sent. If God tells us to love our neighbors and love Him, but we just sit, in our butt, sit on our butts all day, do we really love God and our neighbors? My purpose in today's sermon is to remind us to be a church that, go, that goes beyond our physical, social, economic, religious, and racial walls to be the neighbors that God has commanded us to be and sent us to be. And so this is today's message. We are sent to be neighbors. We are sent to be neighbors. So what does it mean to be a neighbor? First, being a neighbor means going to those in need of help. Verse 29 and 30 says, But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus, Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. See, the lawyer wants a simple answer for his question, Who is my neighbor? He doesn't ask this because he's curious. Um, it says that he asks this to justify himself. Another word that can be used here is declared guiltless or declared righteous. 
You see, the lawyer quite literally is someone who is well-versed in the law and the scriptures. That's why he knew the answer to Jesus' first question, but was seeking to be declared as righteous by Jesus himself, ultimately seeking self-justification. You see, in that time, loving a neighbor meant, uh, loving a neighbor by the Israelites was widely considered to mean loving a fellow Israelite. As we will also discuss later, people at that time were separated based on economic, social, and religious status, which created a sort of hyper-fragmented society with all these social rules that separated people. So all this lawyer had to do was simply love those within the framework, framework of his immediate community and those close to him. And I don't know what specific answer he was hoping to hear from Jesus, um, but he already had an answer in mind. And if I had to guess, he was hoping for Jesus to say, uh, you're supposed to love your fellow Israelites and your community members, thus giving him a pat on the back um, to, and a free pass to continue to live the way that he is. It would be like if I were to ask Jesus, um, who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds, Daniel, you're supposed to love your church, your family, and your friends. Like, I already love them and want to help them. Like, it would be so easy for me to fulfill this commandment if that was it. So what does Jesus do? Instead of giving a simple answer, he goes into a story. Notice how Jesus keeps the man's identity super vague in the parable. He doesn't talk about this man's background, economic standing, or even occupation. All he said was that he was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, was robbed, beaten, and left to die. And Jesus didn't do this by accident. Jesus creates a moment for us to reflect on our own answer and expectations of who this man is. If you were to ask the question to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who would, what would you hope the answer to be? Does your mind go to those that you love or those that you hate and want absolutely nothing to do with? Does your mind go to those that have everything going right in their life or everything wrong in their life? As Christians, we sometimes have a false righteous mentality that we can only love those that are near and close to us. But here Jesus completely destroys the requirements of a neighbor and centers the story on one thing about this man. What he wants us to focus on is not the person's social, religious, economic status, but that there is someone who is suffering and is simply in need of help. When we're trying to be neighbors, none of their statuses should be of the most importance. It is simply whether they are in need of help. The second we start to consider these other factors, we start to create barriers and walls that prevent us from going to those in need of help and in need of a neighbor. And here we see how Jesus wants to approach who our neighbor is, thus who we should be a neighbor to. We have to start changing our mindset from asking, who is my neighbor, to who can I be a neighbor to? Who can I love and help out? Who needs a helping hand? Now, does that mean we only love those that are far away from us or on the outskirts of society? No. This shouldn't disqualify helping those immediately around you. This isn't a one or the other type of situation where we have too little kindness to give. But if we close our eyes and shorten our vision to the people we're already comfortable with and show kindness to, we miss out on being sent to those that are in dire need of kindness and have no one who will give it to them. Let's think of an ambulance. When we call 911, the ambulance doesn't debate 
and decide whether to come based on the merit of the person that's calling or whether someone deserves it or not. But they immediately get into their vehicles and rush to the scene to help in any way that they can. And like the service of an ambulance, we are called to help anyone in need of help. Cornerstone, let's not wait for those in need of help to come to us. And let's not close our eyes to, to those around us that need help. Instead, I encourage you to go out and seek those in need of help. One actionable step you can take today um, is by attending the information session on Miracle Mile Ministry, which Pastor Linda will talk about later in the announcements. Um, it's essentially a partnership between Congregacion Leon de Huda, Symphony Church, Antioch Church, and Cornerstone Church. And this is the why of the ministry. We serve our neighbors at risk and in crisis because God loved us first, so therefore with that we provide immediate relief and pursue God-centered relationships to fulfill our call in making disciples of all nations. And I think it's really cool how we have info sessions and events that are lined up that kind of go hand in hand with um, our sermon series, just like how we have the workplace prayer gathering in the middle of the week, and now we have this. So I highly encourage you guys to attend them uh, and to really live out the sermon and really live out the words that God is teaching us this, uh, in this series. And when we become aware of who is in need of a neighbor, what's the first step for us to take? Well, we need to get out of our comfort zone. And this is my second point. Being a neighbor starts with going out of our comfort zone. In verse 31 to 32, it's written, Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Let's talk about who a priest and a Levite were back in Jewish culture. For those of us who may have heard someone speak on the Bible verses before, you've probably heard the little nugget of information that's given that um, the priest and Levite didn't touch the half-dead man because it, was, it went against their custom and would defile them. And while this is partially true, um, there is a much deeper implication that stems from their social, cultural uh, identity. You see, the priests and Levites were those highly esteemed within Jewish culture not for their actions to get where they are, but because priests and Levites were actually born into priestly families. Um, like a monarchy or a royal family, uh, a royal lineage, people are born into a status that automatically elevates them socially. Um, even looking at the royal family of England, they hold no political power today, but simply because of their ancestry, they have a place in every news tabloid and every platform of social media. They are elevated not based on their actions, but based on their background. So the cultural identity of priests and Levites already placed them in a higher status than a normal person. Basically, their actions as a priest and Levite were based on cultural norms and their own definition of piety as self-evident righteousness. They didn't need the Bible or law, because they didn't have the Bible back then, but they didn't need the law to tell them of their righteousness, but they were in a cycle of being born into a socially high family doing what was deemed holy by what was the temple culture back then, and then deemed holy based on those actions. So even if the Levites and priests walked on the other side of the road to avoid the man in need of help, their, their background and ancestry could have deemed their actions as even commendable and righteous in Jewish times. For them, walking on the other side of the road meant they would continue their comfort as those who didn't need to change their habits or dirty themselves. 
and would still be considered righteous. Their own comfort prevented them from being a neighbor to the dying man. Have you ever walked on the other side of the road? Has your comfort ever gotten in the way of being a neighbor? Now I'll confess first and say that I've literally walked on the other side of the road in Boston to avoid people who I think would impede my comfort. I remember a moment on Sunday in college where I had a couple of dollars in my pocket and to get back to Brandeis, uh, we had to walk from BFIT in South End all the way to Heinz Convention Center. Um, and this isn't a short walk, it's probably maybe like 30, 35 minutes. And so there was almost like a time limit from when church ended um, to get to the bus on time. And literally minutes after service, while I was walking on Boylston, um, I was faced with the decision to give uh, a couple of dollars to a homeless man. In my heart, I knew the answer was to break my comfort boundaries, reach out to him, and to be a helping and loving neighbor. Instead, I told myself that I had no time to stop and pass by saying sorry. But in the end, I actually got to the bus stop with, with a lot of time left over. I used my own situation to give myself an excuse to stay comfortable and not cross the boundaries which God had been tugging at my heart to break in order to be a neighbor to someone who is in need. And that's just one easy moment in my life where I failed to be a neighbor by refusing to cross my own comfort boundaries. And we probably all have, we probably have all had moments like this. It could have been during the Black Lives Matter movement last summer. And because of your comfort, you decided not to march and protest. It could be right now where your comfort is affecting your decision to participate in the ongoing discourse and fight for justice. It could be that whatever is happening is on the other side of the world, which makes it less important for us and harder for us to take action, which leads to caring less. And one example of this is the COVID crisis in India right now. Maybe when the idea of prison ministry comes up, you have some stigmas and fears for those, about those in prison that make you turn your head when they get mentioned. The history and destructive power um, of prison itself is a whole new can of worms of injustice and oppression. And even the thought of learning about that might impede on our perception of comfort. It could even be the excuse that the pandemic itself is preventing us from opportunities of helping others. That itself is a comfort boundary that we might be unwilling to cross. But as the world opens up again, who do we want to be identified as in this story? Do we want to be identified as a priest and Levite that in our self-righteousness and comfort fail to be a neighbor? And so we get a glimpse of what not to do. And now we come upon the Samaritan who passes by and we see what it takes to be a neighbor. So this is my third point. Being a neighbor takes compassion and sacrifice. We continue in the parable in verse 33 to 35. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And let's talk about what it meant to be a Samaritan. The Samaritan was a social religious outcast in Jewish culture. This wasn't because they were Gentile or Muslim. 
In fact, they were closest to what would be considered a sister of Judaism. It was because they were a small minority of ethnic Jews that came from a small remnant of the split kingdom of Israel. But because of their difference in beliefs and ancestral background, they were considered a completely different religious sect, thus being seen as lesser in the eyes of a Jew. Even his addition in the parable would have turned heads like, why is a Samaritan being used in this story? What possible contribution could he make? But that's exactly why Jesus uses a Samaritan. Instead of focusing on the status of this man, Jesus points at his response and action towards the half-dead man. It says that he was moved with compassion. While the priest came, saw, and passed on the other side, this outcast came, saw, was moved, was moved with compassion, and went to him. Despite his status that's considered unrighteous relative to the priest and Levite, the Samaritan is filled with compassion so much that he forgets of the discomfort that it may cause him to help this person in need. Cornerstone, compassion is what will get, is what will get us past our comfort. And with that compassion, the Samaritan puts himself in dangerous situations to make sure that this man is taken care of. He sacrificially gives for the sake of the dead man. Walking from one town to another was already dangerous back then. I mean, a man is laying half dead because he was robbed. There was a chance of getting robbed in any situation while you're journeying from one town to the other. He enters an inn, which could have been a traveler's trap, and he even enters a monetary agreement with the innkeeper, a possible moment and opportunity of extortion. Let's imagine an Airbnb, um, and instead of a website that tells you what the amenities are and how much it's going to cost you, you're forced to trust in the innkeeper um, that all the, or, or the housekeeper that all the amenities for the guests uh, that you bring will be taken care of. And at the end of the stay, the innkeeper decides how much it costs with no form of specific measurement. It's just sketch in every way you can think, and yet this Samaritan shows the heart of being a neighbor. I talked briefly about getting past our comfort and to reach out to those in need of a helping hand and a neighbor. But the next hurdle is actively sacrificing for their sake, just like the Samaritan. And I'm going to be honest, Cornerstone. We've got it good here. For most of our church, not all, you probably grew up with a roof over your head, grew up with food on the table, were never forced to turn to a life of crime, were never outcasted by all of society to the fringes, and never went to prison. Are we as a people and as a church willing to leverage our livelihoods and privilege for those that may have none? Are we willing to sacrifice and act with indiscriminate compassion? I challenge you, Cornerstone, to reflect on how you can be a neighbor to those in need of one. It could be at a local soup kitchen, it could be when someone comes forward as a victim of abuse or assault. It could be when a random stranger on the street is being harassed because of the color of their, color of their skin, especially in times as these where hate crimes against Asians have drastically increased since the beginning of the pandemic. It could be becoming a partner with prison fellowship and literally talking and walking alongside those who are deemed irredeemable by society. We're even finding steps to take, fight, uh, 
even finding steps to take to fight the prison industrial complex that plagues America. And not just that system, but every systemic injustice within the country. There are so many other situations to be a neighbor. But imagine that if in any of these situations someone was hurting, Christians were the first to respond with compassion and kindness that the Samaritan displayed in the parable. How amazing would that be for our witness of Jesus? When the vulnerable need help, it is our call to help. Not for the sake of self-righteousness and pity, but of compassion, kindness, and love that comes from our desire to follow and obey God. And this is the key, that we're obeying God. Without God being the foundation of being sent and the one who sends us, we're left to our own devices. And it's because of our own devices as humanity that we even ended up like this in the first place. In our disobedience to God's will to love God and love one another, we marginalize others for our own flesh and comfort. Evidence? Look where we are today. It is only by the grace of God, an example of perfect love of Jesus on the cross, where we see a foundation for faith and morality that goes beyond our own eyes perspective, uh, our eyes and perspective, and is centered on something that won't fail, change, or fade away. It's only right that with the sacrificial love that God has poured on us, that we pour on others. Cornerstone, we are sent to be neighbors. And as the lawyer himself put it, we are to love God and we are to love others as ourselves. That's the mark of a neighbor. With the conviction and push of the Holy Spirit as Christians, we are sent to those in need of help. We push past our comfort to show compassion and kindness through sacrifice, mirroring what Jesus had done for us. Regardless of whether, we, uh, regardless of whether those we draw near to come to know Jesus Christ or not. It's through our generous outpouring of compassion and kindness that they will experience the gospel by our words and actions. While we don't know how they will respond to the gospel, we trust in God to do His supernatural work in others the same way He did His supernatural work in us through others. So let's trust in Him to send us out and to move us to be a neighbor. Let's pray. Lord, give us compassion for those that are in need. A compassion that breaks the walls of our comfort and the walls of and the boundaries that prevent us from helping others. Lord, give us opportunities to grow our compassion. Whether that's by being informed of things that are going on in the world, um, or being informed of the things that are happening inside of our city, God. Lord, we pray that it's not just through our own will and our own motivation and action that, that makes us uh, try to be a neighbor to others, but Lord, I pray that we really rely on you to be sent. In every situation that we recognize that um, our own motivation, our own determination is fickle, but Lord, you are everlasting and you remain constant and the same forever. So what else can we trust in but you, O oh Lord? And so God, we pray that um, in this week as we get 
uh, as we go into our workplaces, um, as we interact with family members, and as um, and as Boston and the rest of the country opens up a little bit more as the pandemic starts to alleviate, Father, I pray that we can really live out our call to be sent, whether that's um, to our coworkers, whether that's to uh, people who are in need of help. Lord, we pray that we really um, sit on your words and sit on your uh, sit on your message, God, to really. Um, move us and to change us and to, to send us out. Um, and so, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to hear your word and to learn and to be convicted a little bit more today. Um, and we pray that this doesn't stop here, but that this is merely a springboard for the rest of the week and, and as we wait until next week to gather once again to worship you together. So in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so hear these words from Hebrew. Uh, 13, 20 to 21, as our benediction and as a way for us to be sent out by God. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.